Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does it take for a person to be holy? I'm curious what image comes to mind when you think of someone who is holy. Do you see a picture of Jesus? Maybe some kind of clergy person wearing vestments and maybe a fancy hat and carrying that scepter-like thing? Is that person holy? Is that the image you see? Maybe a monk or a nun or some other kind of spiritual guru. Or maybe someone like Mother Teresa or some other saint whom you love. Maybe you got a picture of a friend or a family member when you think of someone who's holy because they remind you of Jesus. Some of you might be like, you clearly don't know my family. <laughs> what does it take to be holy? That's the question we're going to explore today as we continue our sermon series, Ambitious Church. And today's focus is on personal holiness. What does it take to be holy? So Tuesday evening to Wednesday evening of this week was the holiest day in the the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's a day of prayer and repentance, seeking God's forgiveness and, and being made clean and pure. And it's celebrated a little bit differently today, but but back in Jesus' time and even before then, this was the one day a year when the high priest was allowed to enter a special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And this place was located behind the temple veil, and it was where God's spirit was thought to dwell. And the Holy of Holies was such a sacred place within the temple that only the high priest could enter there, and only that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, in order to offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people so that God would forgive all of their sins. And when the priest went into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice, they tied a rope around him and they put bells on him so they could hear him and make sure that he was still in there and doing the thing he needed to do. If anything happened to the priest, nobody else could go in and get him. They just pull on the rope and bring him back out. That's how holy this place was. And this is what was required to make God's people holy. A sacrifice in the holiest place of the temple by the holiest person among God's people on the holiest day of the year. And as I said, it's done a little bit differently today, but it's still the holiest day of the Jewish year. Now, as Christians, we believe that when Jesus died and rose again, he fulfilled the requirements of the sacrificial system. That temple veil was torn in two, and Jesus atoned for all sin once and for all. And you and I are forever forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross. But that doesn't mean that we get a free pass to just sit back and wait for Jesus to return. No, instead, God says that we are to be holy because God is holy. So what does it take to be holy? Hear these words first from 2 Peter and then from the letter to the Ephesians. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 2. 
May you have more and more grace and peace through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Through his honor and glory, he's given us his precious and wonderful promises that you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immortality or immorality, excuse me, that sinful craving produces. Immortality comes later through Jesus. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith and to moral excellence, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, endurance and to endurance, godliness and to godliness, affection for others and to affection for others, love. If all these things are yours and they're growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these things is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they were cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to confirm your call and election. Do this, and you will never be lost. In this way, you will receive a rich welcome into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 22. Change the former way of life that was a part of the person you once were, corrupted by deceitful desires. Instead, renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit and clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness. Friends, this is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. So what does it take to be holy? 2 Peter 1.3 says, The Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Verse 5 says that we are to make every effort. So notice there's work involved on our part here. Make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith, also knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, affection, and love. Make every effort to add these things to our faith and your knowledge of Jesus won't be unfruitful. Instead, you'll bear That list sounds a lot like the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's the kind of fruit that we'll bear. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and gentleness and self-control. That's what holiness looks like. Ephesians 4, 24 says, Clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness. Chris spoke just a moment ago about that new person that, is, that God recreated for us. Again, I, there's effort, though, on our part. God created the new person, but we still have work to do. Put off the old person, the one susceptible to the sin of this world, and instead clothe yourself with the new one, the one made in God's image, holy. And you know, there's, there's baptism imagery there, right? Remember your baptism and, and who you are in Christ, a new creation, holy and blameless before God. And again, Christ accomplished forgiveness and salvation on our behalf, but there's still work for us to do 
in order to live into that salvation, to live as holy people. Sometimes I wonder if in our attempts to live into our calling to be holy, that we don't carry forward just a little bit of that sacrificial system. If we're not careful, sometimes our attempts to make every effort to experience the fruits of the Spirit can actually cause us to miss the point. There's sometimes a tendency in some Christian circles to to think of holiness in terms of this checklist, right, of, of things that I need to do in order to be a good Christian, in order to be holy. And you know what that list looks like, right? Read your Bible, go to church, participate in small group, pray and serve often, as often as you can. And don't get me wrong, those are excellent ways to connect with God and to grow in your faith. And if you're growing in love for God and others by doing those things, then by all means, keep going full speed ahead. But if you're doing those things out of obligation, or if you're too busy to actually hear God's voice as you're pursuing holiness, then maybe it's time to reevaluate how you're spending that time. I came across a wonderful poem by Hafiz, a 14, uh, 14th century mystic that imagines God's invitation for us to spend time together. It's called Beautiful Creature, and it goes like this. There's a beautiful creature living in a hole you have dug. So at night I set fruit and grains and little pots of wine and milk beside your soft earthen mounds. And I often sing to you, but still, my dear, you do not come out. I've fallen in love with someone who is hiding inside of you. We should talk about this problem. Otherwise, I will never leave you alone. Isn't that a great poem? Holy means set apart. And in order for us to be holy, we need to set apart time to be with the most holy God who longs to be with us. And if you're not setting apart time, you should talk about this problem with God. The poem says, there's a beautiful creature living in a hole you have dug. Have you been too busy digging holes to set apart time to be with God? The God who woos you with fruit and grains and wine and milk the God who beckons you with songs to come out and sit for a while. Have you been still enough to hear those songs? During my sabbatical this summer, I was tremendously blessed to begin a certificate program in spiritual direction. And spiritual direction is the art of helping people discern God's activity in their lives. In the first year of our studies are focused on strengthening our own spiritual practices and our own awareness of God's presence. And a man named Ken Lund taught us about centering prayer. And he emphasized that there is no goal for centering prayer other than spending time in God's presence. 
And Ken gave this beautiful image of him taking his grandson to get ice cream. And after they got their ice cream cones, they were walking through the park and his grandson stopped on a bench and he sat down and then he looked at Ken and he just patted the bench right next to him. He didn't say anything. He didn't have to. It was just an invitation just to be together. This is what God longs for from us. Come, sit for a while. That's the place where holiness is fostered. Now, there are, of course, uh, many ways to set a, set a time uh, apart, set apart, excuse me, time to be with God. And each of us needs to figure out what works best for us. And those things may change over time, and that's okay. We have seasons in life where we're closer to God doing one thing than another, and stick with those. Whatever makes you feel closer to God, run in that direction. Well, one meaningful way that I've found to connect with God recently is through this oil lamp. There's a picture up there if you can't see this one. I love this thing. Um, I bought this oil lamp at Gethsemane Abbey this summer. It's a monastery where, where monks pray and worship God. It was, I was there um, toward the end of my uh, sabbatical on spiritual retreat. And there's a local potter who lives near the abbey that makes every single one of these lamps. And they're throughout the abbey and they use them all the time. And I I, just seeing this lamp it makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me happy to think about the abbey, remember my time there. It makes me happy to think about the potter who so carefully formed and crafted this beautiful lamp and many others, each one different and unique and beautiful in its own way. It makes me happy to, to think about the retreatants, who, the, the people who go there on spiritual retreat and, and sing by the light of this lamp and similar other lamps as they pray and reflect on God. And so what I've been doing is lighting this lamp. And setting it near me when I want to set apart time to be with God. And it's really strange. I can't explain exactly how satisfying it is to me to see this light. Uh, even just out of the corner of my eye as I sit and pray or reflect in silence. And there's nothing magical about this lamp, right? The, the lamp is not God. Uh, there's no genie in there. There's nothing like that happening. But it's such a strong, tangible reminder for me of God's presence with us. Sometimes I'll even reach out kind of toward the flame so that I can feel the heat of the lamp. And no matter what room I place the lamp in, it seems that when I light the lamp, something about the room changes. The, the space slowly but steadily feels more infused with holiness, more saturated with God's Spirit. Or I should say, I become more aware of God's Spirit which was already there to begin with in the room. As my spiritual director said last week, God is not elsewhere. God is not elsewhere. But when I light the lamp, the cares of the world seem less press pressing 
and, and less present as well. Unable to coexist so near the light's steady, calming, peaceful witness. And again, I confess, I find myself really surprised to have such a strong reaction to this simple light. But my heightened awareness of God's presence is undeniable. I had this lamp lit with me uh, all week as I sat and worked on the sermon. Went through a lot of oil throughout the week. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Ephesians 4.23, renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit. The Lord's given us everything we need for life and godliness, provided that we set apart time to renew our thinking in the presence of God's Spirit. So what does it take to be holy? Well, it takes time. It takes time set apart simply to be in the presence of the Holy One. I love that hymn that we sang just before, uh, just before the message here, Take Time to Be Holy by William Longstaff. First couple lines, Take time to be holy, speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. That first verse emphasizes the importance of setting aside time to be with God. It might be through Bible study, quiet times, prayer, some other spiritual practice. But the important thing is intentionally setting apart time. Just to be with God in whatever way works best for you in this season of your life. The second verse is my favorite. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. It never stops, does it? (laughs) The list of things that we need to do. But take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. Thy friends and thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Remember when Moses spent time with God on the mountain and he came back down? His face was glowing. And everybody knew that Moses had been with the Lord. Now, that may not happen to you, when you pray and spend time in God's presence, but you know what? It might. I actually know someone who has experienced that kind of prayer not long ago. The point is, though, the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more our lives should reflect his light. And so I want to challenge you this week to take time to be holy. Each of us, everyone in this room, gets a total of 1,440 minutes in a week, 1,440 minutes each day, sorry, each day. That wouldn't be enough, would it? You get 1,440 minutes each day. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to spend at least 10 minutes each day. And really, come on, can you really get to holiness in less than 10 minutes? I I don't think so. I don't know. 10 minutes just to be with God. Just be. There's no wrong way to do this, no right way to do this. Just find a place where you're not likely to be distracted. Set a timer on your phone or whatever else and simply sit for 10 minutes with the intention of becoming more aware of God's presence. 
Imagine God sitting on a bench and inviting you to have a seat too and just be with God. You don't have to say anything or expect God to say anything back. Just be together and let God's holiness envelop you so that you might be more like Jesus, more holy. I want to close by pointing out something that I've noticed lately here at church. I have sensed that things have been somehow different in a very good way here at Boone UMC over the past several weeks. And, and some of you have mentioned this to me too. And I think what it comes down to is I've just been more aware of God's presence here. And to be clear, God never left. God is not elsewhere. But my awareness of God in this place has been heightened. And I feel like it started with the bazaar, and it only has intensified from there. Uh, from the preaching to the sacraments to the worship team to the children's ministry and, and singing and children's blessing, all of it, I, God's spirit is here. God is at work and active in this place, in this time, right now at Boone UMC. It's like holiness is palpable around here lately. And what a beautiful thing to participate in. And so as we continue to take time to be holy, may we be even more aware of God's presence, mission, and love in this place. Amen.